Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Well, hello, Real Life Church. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm Ryan Montague, a friend of Pastor Jim's, and I know that you all have been in the series of What I Like About Jesus, and he's invited me to share and speak into this sermon series. So I thought, uh, first, before I do that, I'd like to start with what I like about Pastor Jim. So I just want to kind of thank him and honor him. What an amazing pastor you have in this church, and what I like about Jim is that he's the real deal that he not only talks the talk, but he walks the walk. And so I've been so blessed to really know him over the last couple of years and be able to see his heart for people just in the day-to-day conversations of life and serving in the community, praying for people's healing, hearing from God's voice and sharing that with people. And so it's just such an awesome space to be able to be invited into. And he's just an incredibly humble pastor with a big heart. And that's what I love about Pastor Jim. All right, so now I'm going to dive right in to what I like about Jesus. And if I can ratchet it up to what I love about Jesus is that he's personal. What I love about Jesus is that he's personal, which is crazy to think that with like 7 billion people on the planet, that it's possible for all 7 billion of us to still have a personal relationship with Jesus. And you can only do that with God. And so I want to start off with a story that really uh, stands out to me about this personal nature of God. And this comes from a friend of mine, Julian. And Julian's this amazing guy, and uh, I've gotten to know him over the last five years, and he hears God's voice, and again, another, another man of God that hears God's voice and walks it out. And in this one instance, he was actually at a Starbucks, and he was going over his calendar with his assistant. They're kind of going over the week and monthly calendars and all that kind of stuff. And he sees out of the corner of his eye this young kind of 20-something-year-old woman sitting by herself at a table working on her computer with her headphones on. And as he sees her, he feels like God puts in his heart the word runaway. And so he's kind of going over the calendar, kind of seeing her feeling this, this, this impression of runaway, just the words runaway, not even what that meant, that if she was a runaway, if she needed to run away from something, he literally had no context for it other than the word. And so as he's thinking about this and they're wrapping up, he's like, man, like, I feel this impression, but how do I actually share this with her without it being totally awkward and uncomfortable? And, and so he, he actually is packed up, and they're almost walking out the door, and he, just as he's about ready to leave without sharing it, he feels this kind of tug in the pit of his stomach, and he knows that he's just got to go over there and just say it and see what happens and see what God might be up to. So he brings himself over to this young woman's table, and he tries to bend down and be as casual as possible, and she kind of takes her headphones off and looks almost like already a little bit annoyed just at the, the random interruption, but he, he says, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, uh, but I, I'm actually a, a pastor in, here in L.A., 
But as I saw you, for whatever reason, and I know this is going to sound strange, but for whatever reason, I felt like God put it on my heart to just come and to say to you, run away. And she goes, oh my gosh, I just got chills. And he's like, what? Like, what, what, what does runaway mean? And she goes, well, there are, I have these three closest, nearest, dearest friends of mine in the whole world. And they're the only three people in the world that know me and call me by the nickname Runaway. And he's just blown away. And so he kind of takes a moment and he says to her, and he says, you know what? God knows you. I think what God's wanting me to tell you is that he knows you even more intimately than those three closest, dearest friends of yours. And that kind of intimate relationship that you have with them, that's the kind of intimate relationship that God wants to have with you. And is this personally profound moment where she got an experience with God and an explanation of God. And that's what I love about Jesus is that he's so personal. And this idea too, the power of a personal experience and explanation. And so that's what we're going to dive into today is the power of a personal experience and an explanation. And there's a great quote from evangelist uh, Daniel Kalenda, who said that people need to have an experience with God that goes with an explanation of God, not just an explanation of God and in, yet in need of an experience with God. So there's something remarkably profound about both an experience and an explanation. And in fact, we, we see this. Pastor Jim last week was talking about praying for people's healing. Is that when you're praying for somebody's healing, you're giving them an opportunity to have an experience with God. And then even better is afterwards you get to follow that up with an explanation of God. And we see that in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus has the 12 closest, nearest dis disciples, and he sends them off. He endues them with power and authority, and he gives them two instructions, to heal the sick and to teach people about the kingdom of God. Give them an experience with God, and then give them an explanation of God. There's the power of those two things going hand in hand. He does the same thing in Luke chapter 9, this time with 70 disciples. And he pairs them off in twos and sends them out into the villages nearby, again with the instruction to heal the sick and to teach them about the kingdom of God. Give them an experience with God and then give them an explanation of God. Because once people's hearts are pierced with an experience, now all of a sudden they're all ears to hear the explanation of who is this God that just touched my heart touched my life, brought physical healing, emotionally healing, spiritual healing, whatever it may be that has happened in that moment. And that's one of the things that I love about God is that these opportunities to pray for, for healing, whether it be physical, spiritual, emotional, is it's this idea from Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. So even reflecting back to last week's sermon, when you're going out to pray for people's healing, you're giving them an opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. Julian, with that young woman in the Starbucks, with the runaway example, he gave her an opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what this thing is all about, is giving people an encounter with Jesus Christ himself. And that's what I love about 1 Corinthians 4.20 that says that the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. It's the explanation, but it's also the experience. 
So it's not, the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. And sometimes we just make it a lot of talk and very little power or no power that we're walking in that authority with Jesus Christ. And people need an experience so badly. There are people all around us all the time that are desperate and hungry for an experience with God. And that's where we dive into prayer. That's why we, we, you know, God says to love others as you love yourself, to think about others as much as you've been thinking about yourself. Time to flip the table and start thinking about others as much as you've been thinking about yourself. And when you start to do that, you'll start to walk in love for people and give the more and more experiences with God to more and more people. So profound and so amazing is that I really believe that Jesus designed this thing so that he wants to put personal experience with evangelism. But he also wants to put an explanation with community service. Because we can do a lot of evangelism that's purely explanation and no experience. But we can also do community service that's all experience but no explanation. And so they get an experience but no explanation of why we're there, why we're doing that, what, we're, what our motivations are, what's pursuing us, what's pushing out and driving our love for them in those ways. And so what I want to do is I want to look at uh, one of the most beautiful examples of this, the power of experience and explanation. And this is in John chapter 4. So if you want to flip there with me in your Bibles, you can bust those out. In the, if you've got the old school leather-bound version or you've got the new school digital you can pull up John chapter 4, and this is the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, and I'm going to read through a good, good bit of this, so if you don't have a Bible handy, then you'll still get the full story here. And so we're going to go through this looking again at experience and explanation. So it says here in John chapter 4, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria, and on the way, eventually he came to a Samaritan village near the field of, that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If only you knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir... You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring with them, within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And this is where the experience with God comes in. He says this, Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, 
For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here on the mountain where our ancestors worshiped? And here comes the explanation. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it is here now where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It's almost like the spirit and the truth is the experience and the explanation. And then he goes on to say that the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? And or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And I'm gonna jump down to verse 39, where it says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, verse 42, 442, then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves, now we know indeed that he is the savior of the world. That's the kind of results you get when you give people an experience with God and an explanation of God. The powerful combination of those two things together are remarkable. And one of the things that I wanna land on is that final verse where it says, now we believe, not just because of what you said and what you told us, is that there's a difference between having first-hand experiences with God and second-hand experiences with God. Is that there are so many people that are living off of the second-hand experiences of God that are so desperate and hungry for first-hand experiences. In fact, uh, I do a lot of research and writing in the area of these divine appointment conversations, much like the one that Julian shared earlier that I shared about his experience. And with a young woman who had had a powerful divine appointment story, she said this. She said, there are a lot of people out there just like me who need to experience God firsthand. There are too many people living on the secondhand experiences of other people. I needed this firsthand experience with God. I needed to be reminded that God himself really does care about me personally. What I love about Jesus is that he's personal. 
and that we can all have a personal engagement and relationship with him. That the scripture says that he has no favorites. That we're all his favorites. And that's an incredible thing. And so it's this idea that there's too many people living off the secondhand experiences, which you can get by with for a while, just like the Samaritans say here. At first we believed because of your testimony, because of what you said, but now we believe because we have experienced him for ourselves, and we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. When you're just living off of the secondhand experiences in this life and other people's testimonies, there can still be this doubt in your mind. In fact, when I started doing this research on divine appointments and I was listening to all these amazing, amazing stories, is that at that point when I was doing the research, I had never had that kind of conversation. I had had never had that kind of an experience with God in those ways. And so even though I was hearing these kinds of crazy testimonies or hearing them online, there can still be this question in your mind of, you know, but was it really that way? Or is that the truth? Or did that really happen? But then when you have them for yourself, that's the anchor for your soul, that you personally get to taste and see that the Lord is good. You're not just watching other people taste and see that the Lord is good. And then still having that reservation about whether or not he actually is. You get to have that for yourself firsthand. And we get to give that to other people. When we go out and we pray and we we seek after people's hearts. And we go to be open and to help them have an experience with God. To just listen to the Lord and speak what he puts on our heart. To pray for healing. To comfort those that are afflicted that we have an opportunity to give them an experience with God that's so powerful. And an exciting firsthand experience with God is vital for the life and the faith with God. So we've gotta really be recognize the limits of living off of the secondhand experiences. And that brings me to uh, my second point here, which is the power of being fully known and freely chosen is what we see in the story of the the Samaritan woman, is that Jesus, she even says, he told me everything I ever did. And Jesus calls out the fact that she's had five husbands and the man she's living with now isn't even her husband. Is that she was fully known. She was fully exposed in that moment by Jesus and she recognized that he must be, at a minimum, a prophet. To know her that intimately. But here's the powerful thing is that oftentimes when people just people in in flesh and blood know all of our junk, we usually, you know, end up risk getting rejected rather than chosen. Here, Jesus arrives at the well and he could have done it a thousand different ways with a thousand different people, but he chose her. Knowing all of her stuff, all of the things that she's been through, he chose her. And this really reminded me, because I, about a month ago or so, I officiated a wedding, and I had the opportunity to officiate a wedding of a former student that graduated five years ago, and she's been, you know, practically become part of our family over the last uh, five years since she graduated. And so I had the opportunity to, to meet her, her boyfriend when they were dating, and then do their premarital counseling and officiate their wedding. And it reminded me of this process. The process of going from dating to wedding day is this process of allowing yourself to be more and more fully known and freely chosen. 
is that that's why people have such a hard time in relationships because we have this great fear. One of our greatest fears is social rejection. And, and it's this fear that if they really knew me, if this girlfriend really knew this about me, if this boyfriend knew this about me, if this fiance knew this about me, if my spouse knew this about me, would they still choose me? And this is where Jesus says, I know everything and I still choose you. And that's the beautiful process that unfolds in the dating to wedding day is it's this idea that it's a process because people hold their cards really close to their chest. And as we build trust in relationships, we kind of slowly are, are emotionally kind of turning over a card one at a time. And this is why oftentimes people need premarital counseling to have a third party that actually helps you even when you, you can't do it yourself. Uh, somebody else helps you turn that card over in a safe space to be able to lay down the cards that we've been dealt, the cards that we've accrued. And it's this moment where a person gets to say, I've now seen all your cards and I still choose you. It's this powerful, powerful moment and it reflects Christ to us. And that's, that's love, that's commitment, that's faithfulness. And so that's this part is that the greatest risk in life is to be truly known and freely chosen. And that's what Christ shows us with this woman at the well, but he also gives us an opportunity to recognize for all of us is that this is kind of love, that no matter what else you learn about somebody, that you're willing to choose them. That no matter what else comes up, you're going to continue to choose them. And that's what Jesus wants us to know time and time and time again, that no matter what happens, no matter what we find out, I know everything about you and I still choose you. That's the blessed assurance that we have. For in um, Psalm 129, one through seven, it illustrates this, this being intimately known and freely chosen. For in Psalm 129, one through seven, it says this, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it out loud. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. We are intimately known. There is nothing that you can possibly say that would shock Jesus. That's why when we confess our sins, there's never the possibility of him saying, oh wow, I did not know that. I knew about this stuff. How did you sneak that one past me? It's like there, he knows it all. There's no second guessing it. And that's the power of some 2,000 years ago when Jesus took the, the vicious beating that he did and was, was, was crucified to the cross for us. That was his way of indefinitively saying, I choose you, I choose you. I saw you before you were even born. I've seen every day of your life, every minute of your life, every second of your life, and I choose you. Don't ever, ever doubt that Jesus chooses you because it's, it's his work on the cross that gives us utter confidence that we have been fully known, truly known, and freely chosen by him. That's the power. From in, in Romans 5.8, it said, that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, God sent his one and only son. The John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. 
That's the kind of blessed assurance that he gives us, that intimately known and freely chosen. And I recently had an incredible opportunity to go uh, meet with a man that uh, was, was actually in hospice care. And he had had, uh, just his body was shutting down from, from drinking and other medical issues and other things. And so he had been, he was past the, the point of being able to receive a transplant and they had officially moved him into hospice care. And he knew that his days were numbered at that point. And so he had reached out to, to try to contact a, a chaplain, and for whatever reason, there wasn't a, a chaplain available. And so this was the father of, of uh, a friend. And so we had actually just kind of uh, met up with her, um, really through a divine appointment, a couple of weeks prior to this. And so she reached out and just said, you know, would you be willing to go out and talk with my dad? He's asked for a chaplain, but there isn't one available. And, and this is really, you know, pretty, this is a big step for him to even do that. Because his wife had been a faithful, faithful believer and follower her whole, their whole marriage. And went to church every day. And engaged in the faith uh, week to week, day in, day out, throughout their whole marriage. And yet he just never really wanted anything to do with it. He was fine with her going. He just didn't want anything to do with it. So this was a big step. And so I went out and, and I got there. And as I'm pulling up to this hospice care facility, the thought kind of hits me that he had reached out for a chaplain. And, and, uh, and I'm not a chaplain. But it hit me this idea that, oh, yeah, like chaplains are probably trained on some aspect of this. And, 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 I, was, and I was like, well, we're here. We're going for it. And we're just going to see what God does. Because I remember that verse of like God said and that when you stand before people, don't worry about what to say, for I will give you what to say at that time. And so I went for it. And so we got to talking, and, and here he is, you know, laying on, his, on this bed and even saying, like, that there's, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to leave this place. Like, I recognize this is my final stop. And so he's just in tears, and he's got this towel that he's just kind of bawling into. And, and he began to talk about just the remorse that he had. He's like, you know, I have nobody but to, to blame for this but myself and what I did to myself by drinking and doing all these other things. And, and he was also just weeping over the thought of leaving his wife because they had been married for 50 years. And he just went raving about his wife about how she knew everything about him. And he said this like four or five times. He said, I don't have any secrets from her. She knows me fully and completely. And she has loved me unconditionally. She knows everything about me and she has just loved me. And I can't imagine now leaving this marriage and leaving her behind. And it was just breaking his heart. And so we, we, he, he ended up having some questions about God and you know, I answered you know, what I could for that and we kind of got to this, this point at the end of, of this kind of long conversation. And I said, well, you know, is there, is there anything that I can pray for you before I leave? And he said, yeah, uh, new life. And I said, well, that, that's gonna require Jesus. And, and I told him, I was like, you know, you have, a, you have a choice. Is that really your wife, and this was a thing to bring it into the personal experience. I said, you know, your wife modeled Jesus for you. What you're concerned about is that Jesus knows you even more intimately and more fully and more truly than your wife has. And yet he still loves you. And he still chooses you. And what you're afraid of leaving and leaving behind now, you can have for all of eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ, you can have the same relationship, being fully known and fully loved and freely chosen with him for eternity. Are you ready for that? 
And he said yes, and he started bawling into this towel. And, and I gave him a couple of minutes just to confess his sins and, and kind of repent before God. And so for a few minutes, he was just on his own, going at it with God, having this personal encounter, just weeping and bawling into this towel and confessing his sins and, and having this incredible personal moment with God. And then when he was done, I stood up and, and, and I went over and said, and kind of led him through, through a prayer. And then I said, I'm going to pray for you, for the Holy Spirit to just really fully come upon you and for you to feel the Holy Spirit. And so I laid my hand on his chest and I just prayed for the Holy Spirit to consume him. And as I prayed for him, for the Holy Spirit to just consume him, for just like three or four minutes, he was just saying, I feel it, 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 I feel it. He was just crying into this towel and having this amazing experience and encounter with God. It's a moment in my life I'll never forget because we both got a first-hand experience with God. It wasn't a second-hand story of hearing somebody else have this amazing experience with God. We got to see it and feel it and experience it together with him, with God, and in the power of the Holy Spirit and through the name of Jesus Christ. It was this amazing, incredible moment. And so these are the kind of moments that we can bring to people to let people know that they are fully and truly known and freely chosen, the greatest gift of all times. And what that does is it brings what Jesus says. He says, I leave you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And anybody that's had a relationship here on earth where you were truly known and freely chosen, you know the kind of peace of mind that that leaves behind and the peace that you have in your heart. And that's what Jesus gives I want to leave you with one last story, and, and this is to just make this known that this can be available to us at any point in our walk and in our journey. And so it doesn't need to be big displays or massive, you know, people leading people to Christ or, or having a crazy prophetic word, is that this was a moment where I called into a reception's office at Kaiser in Baldwin Park. And so I called the hospital and I called this department and I and ended up with a receptionist on the phone. And so we were kind of talking about appointments and follow-ups and all these other things. And, and then I just kind of felt like, you know, I've been trying to reach out and pray for more and more people and just pray for as many people as I can. And so at the end of our call, I said, hey, you know, there, you know she's asked, is there anything else? And I said, yeah, there's one more thing. You know, I really just felt like, you know, God wanted me to, to pray for you. You know, is, is there anything that I can pray for you about? And, and she said, you know, no, like, not really, like, that's nice, but no, not really, like, there, there's nothing. And I was like, really, is there anything specifically you'd like me to pray about? No. And I was like, well, would it be okay if I just kind of prayed for you in general then? And she said, sure, that'd be fine. And so I, I just kind of went into this prayer, and this is where just kind of allowing the Spirit to speak through you in your prayer, not to have to say it right or say it perfectly or say the same thing every time, but allow the Holy Spirit to just be creative and to just kind of pray openly. And so I just did. I just did that, and I just prayed for her. And I said, in Jesus' name, amen. And she goes, wow. She goes, that's crazy. Like, literally, she goes, everything that you prayed, I was like, wow, that's something. Yep, that's something. Yep, that's something. And she had this experience with God just through a call to a reception's office at, at Baldwin Park Hospital. And it was this idea that here she goes saying, no, there's really nothing for you to, you to, she starts out the conversation saying, no, there's nothing you can pray for me about, nothing specifically. When we ended the prayer and the conversation, she said, wow, that was something, that was something, that was something. Clearly she had some things, but she was either afraid to say them or hesitant 
or wanting, or she wasn't sure of me and, and she was testing the waters. But it was a quick moment where she was able to taste and see that the Lord is good, that he sees her, he hears her, and he knows her personally. So this is the call for, for all of us. And, and first, with this calling for, for Christians, for those of you that are already following Christ, I encourage you. There's a saying that says, you know, give a person a fish and you feed them for a day. Teach a person to fish and you feed them for a lifetime. Well, it works the same way with these divine opportunity stories and these personal encounters. Is that if I share a story about Julian and the runaway or me and Eric and, and praying for him to receive Christ on, on, his, on his deathbed or for this receptionist, is that those kinds of stories can feed you spiritually for a day. But if we teach you all to, to go out and you take the risk to you step out of your comfort zone and you begin fishing, you begin experiencing, that will feed you spiritually for a lifetime. And I I guarantee you, you're going to have so much fun. It brings in the grand adventure with God that this thing is. And there's a great quote from Sam Storms who says this. It's as simple as this. Sam Storms says, look for a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Be alert to the cry for help and answer it. Listen for the voice of God and speak it. When you do, the Holy Spirit will equip you. What I want to end with, for those of you that are maybe just seeking out God, maybe you got invited to, uh, to service or you somehow stumbled across this video, what I'd love to just share with you is that, that Jesus already said I do. I was talking about the wedding that I officiated. In order for people to be fully known and freely chosen, both people have to say I do. Jesus has already said I do to you. Now your next step is to, to encounter him, to feel his presence, to feel his peace and feel his love. All you have to do is say, I do, to reciprocate that. For in Romans 10, 9 through 10, it says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And what that brings is this new covenantal relationship with Jesus Christ. In Romans 5.11 it says, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. And then, once you get that new relationship, it's about growing in him and getting to know him intimately and him personally. He knows you intimately and personally. He wants you to know him intimately. And that's what's so beautiful about 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 through 3, that says, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. John 17, 3 says that the way to eternal life is to know him. It's knowing him. Being in relationship and growing in your knowledge of him gives you more and more grace and peace. That's your opportunity. So if that's for you and you want to say I do, type I do in the chat. 
text a friend that you know is a Christian and let them know that you want to choose a relationship with Jesus. Text somebody at this church, but let somebody know. Confess and openly declare to somebody, at least one person, that can join you in this celebration of this amazing new relationship and this new amount of freedom and experience with God. And then as you need more and more explanation to grow in your knowledge of him, allow people to help speak into that. So Lord, Heavenly Father, God, we just pray and we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your experience, for your explanation, for your powerful combination that you would truly know us and freely choose us and pursue us and pursue us and pursue us. No matter what we've been through, no matter what we've done, that you know us and you pursue us and you want a relationship with us, you want a personal encounter with us and you want us to know you for knowing you transforms our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and it's in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.